Our scripture tonight is coming from Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Please be seated. Well, I'm very happy to be with you again this evening, and thank you for your presence tonight. It's always encouraging to be with everyone and to have everyone with us for our Sunday evening worship service. And if you're visiting, we're always very happy to have you and always very grateful for your presence and encourage you to be with us Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock for our midweek Bible study. And I want to thank uh, Lynn for these fine songs and for the prayers and for the scripture reading and all the leadership that these men have provided in our worship this evening. I'm very grateful for it, the announcements that were made. Please listen carefully and attentively to them, and as they apply to you, I hope that you'll participate and be a part of those uh, activities and the works of the congregation uh, that we engage in on a regular basis. As you can see from the graphic uh, before you, we've been studying about the spiritual warfare, and a couple of things I've tried to impress upon our minds as we uh, went through our study today. I wanted us to see from the pages of the Bible the reality of it, that it's actually a warfare that we have to face and that we're going through. There is a spiritual dimension out there. Uh, God has created a physical dimension, which we see, but he's also created a spiritual dimension, which we do not see, though it is still very real. And in that spiritual dimension, we, of course, face the difficulty of the warfare that Paul talks about in this chapter of Ephesians chapter 6. And we spent time studying the word wrestle and how that it really talks about the hand-to-hand combat, spiritually speaking, that we are involved in in this spiritual warfare. That goes to the point about the reality of it, the difficulty of it, and the danger of it. I tried to impress that, and I think that's his point in this passage against cosmic powers over this present darkness. It's not a matter of fighting against physical matters. It's a matter of fighting against spiritual matters. And they are well organized and they're very ruthless against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Again, I wish I knew more about that statement. I wish I could answer all of your questions regarding uh, what Paul had in mind back there in that matter. But it's very clear he's talking about forces, evil forces that are against us, that want to destroy us and see us destroyed in a devil's hell. And it's not just a ragtag gang that we're up against, but we're up against a well-organized, highly efficient, and very effective group. It's a demonic type of group that wants us to lose our souls. And those are the points I was trying to impress. How do we get ourselves to realize the reality of it, the difficulty of it, the danger of it. Well, this is what Paul is trying to tell us. He's trying to say that we're involved in a very serious warfare. And here are our orders, and we spent some time emphasizing that, that we stand firm and stand fast, 
against the wiles of the devil. Verse 11, he tells us this in verse 13 and also in verse 14 of our chapter, Ephesians chapter 6. So we have a, a very clear and precise order which we are to follow. And we're to stand fast against these particular matters and not give in. How do we do that? Well, we understand our adversary as best we possibly can. And he uses words like schemes. You may have in your translation wiles. These are good words which helps us understand how efficient, how effective, how cunning, how determined, and how focused he really is. Also, he's a liar and the father of lies, John 8 and 44, and we, we studied that today. He's like a roaring lion seeking to whom he may devour, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, and we looked at those particular verses. We need to think about this every day as we go throughout our daily walk of life. It's not something that we can overlook. And this is where we really are for the present tonight, putting on the whole armor of God. It's very clear we can't win this battle by ourselves, but we need to be empowered from God. And that's what I want to study with you tonight. I want to study about the armor, a very classic text of passage in Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, this particular uh, verse is talking about putting on the whole armor of God. And I think the first thing, though, that Paul presents is the fact that we need this. And if we can't see that, if we can't see the need for it, we're not going to put it on. If we can't see the reality of this, the danger of this, the difficulty of this, we're not going to utilize the armor God has in store for us. Now tonight in our discussion, we want to emphasize and come to appreciate more the armor, what it means and what it'll do for us, how we can utilize this armor in our stand, which is our orders, to stand against the devil. But if we don't see the need for this, we'll never put that armor on. And I think that's a big part of our problem today, both in and out of the church, is trying to get people to see the true need that they have to stand against the wiles of the devil, to stand against him. When you look through the book of Ephesians, and I love this book because it talks about the church. It talks about the greatness of the church. When you look at Ephesians chapter 1, for example, he talks about the possession that we have that we are in Christ. And I always love to read verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ, and here it is, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now he's talking about what we possess with regard to Christ. In chapter 2 and in chapter 3, he's talking about our position. And the position that we have is that we're fellow heirs. We enjoy this inheritance and the... Uh, promise of that inheritance as saints of God and members of the household of God. And we have this wonderful possession. But then in chapters 4 through 6, and I'll have to be brief, he talks about our purpose. In those particular chapters, the purpose that we have is to walk a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. The worthy walk is referenced for us a number of times in these three chapters, 4, 5, and 6. And that's the purpose that we really have. What we have tonight, though, is in the conclusion of the book, and you see the concluding statement as he's making a transition and a conclusion in verse 10. He says, finally, Ephesians 6 and 10, our study tonight, finally, here's the conclusion. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Well, let's notice that for just a minute. Be strong in the Lord. That's a pretty powerful verb there, to be strong. 
We've sung about it tonight. What does the text really mean? To be strong in the Lord, to be strong is a present tense verb. It means that it's something that I've got to continually do. It's, it never ends. I must continually be strong. But yet, it's also a passive verb. It's not something that I can do by myself, but it's something that I receive from God and from above. It's also an imperative. That means it's a command. Be strong. This is something we've got to do, and God expects us to do that. But notice further where the relationship is expressed in the Lord. Be strong. You've got to receive this strength, continually receive this strength, continually receive this strength from God, and do so as a command of God in the Lord. As a child obedient to the gospel of Christ. I'm now in the Lord because of uh, my faithful obedience to the Word of God and to the work of God. Now this point about strength comes up a number of times in the book of Ephesians, and I thought I'd rehearse a verse or two about it. Notice in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19, passages which really deserve more time and attention. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us? See, early in the book, he's talking about this matter of being strong. Who believe according to the working of his great might. See, this power is available to me. Notice in chapter 3, the verse is verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And then notice one more in verse 20 of the same chapter. Now to him who is able... To do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. So he's talking about this power all the way through the book. And even in the very first chapter, he's saying that God will strengthen you. God will help you. That power is available for you. Now my point was this morning, you're not going to avail yourself of the power if you don't see the need for it. There's a real battle out there and it's dangerous and it's difficult. And we need help. We see that. Once we see the need, because of the reality of it, the difficulty of it, and the danger of it, then we're ready now to receive the power which God has in store for us. Be strong. It's a command. This is something you continually do. It's a present tense verb, and it's something that comes from above and is given to you, and it's in the Lord in our relationship to God. And so now he gives us that wonderful passage that we've read so many times. Put on the armor. Put on the armor. But not only just put it on, keep it on and rely on it. And the more I understand about this great armor, the better equipped I am to make my stand against the devil. If I ever get the idea I can do it all by myself, I've lost the battle. But with the help of God, I can be successful. Notice, as he says in our passage in verse 11, as I rehearse it once again, be strong, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? To stand. If you put the armor on, you'll be able to stand. If you don't put the armor on, you don't have a prayer against the enemy that we have. It's kind of the body armor that is effective in overcoming the problems that we face. We cannot stand without it because the wiles of the devil, you and I studied that this morning. He's cunning and he's crafty. He has, this translation says, 
the schemes. He's a very crafty foe. It is not an easy one that we're up against. I think Peter in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, he's like a roaring lion. He's going about from place to place seeking whom he may devour. That predatory animal type nature in him is going about desiring to destroy, desiring to seek and find a victim and to drag them off into the devil's hell. How can we overcome that? Well, the first matter that he gives us, we've got to have the belt. He tells us, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. And I think as he looks at this Roman guard that he's chained to, a prison epistle written in the middle 60s from Rome, He envisions that Roman guard, and one of the things that he says as far as the Christian soldier is concerned, you got to put on the belt of truth. The belt of truth has to do with our mind, and Satan wants to destroy our mind, to captivate our mind, to tantalize us to the point where he can lead us astray and cause us to fall. But it's the belt that holds all of the armor together. It's the truth that makes it all come together for us. Because Satan is always trying to lie to us. You know, he did that in the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3. God told them in the, in the very beginning, Now don't eat of that tree which is in the midst of the garden. Because in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Verse 4. But yet, what did Satan say? You're not going to die. He's a liar. She said, now, He said, well, God said, if you eat of that tree, you'll die. But you're not going to die. Genesis 3, verse 4. He is a liar. And she fell victim to that. A cunning, crafty foe. And what was he doing other than mitigating or trying to invalidate truth? God had told them, this is the law which you are to live by. Do not have any part of that particular tree. Because you'll die if you do. Satan comes along and says, don't worry about that, you're not going to die. He's a liar. And the first thing Paul tells us about the matter is you've got to have the belt of truth. Because the belt of truth holds all this armor together. You've got to have that. Because otherwise you're going to fall victims to the lying, deceitful ways of the devil. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10. There he's talking about a particular issue, which I love to talk about, but won't be able to do so today. In the midst of that issue of the falling away and the lawless one that he describes in this passage, he says in verse 10, And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. There are some people who just won't love the truth. They refuse to love the truth. If I'm going to stand up against the scheming nature and his efforts to try to destroy me, I'm going to have to have the belt of truth and I've got to keep it about me. While I'm on this passage, notice with me verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. The reason you're being saved is because you believe the truth. You've obeyed the truth. 
The first element of the Christian armor is truth. This is not a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle. And naturally, truth would be first and foremost with regard to that particular situation. And then, I love 1 Timothy chapter 2. While we're here, we'll turn to that. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4. And which really tells me a lot about God. This is good, verse 3. And is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. And here it is, verse 4. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God doesn't want anyone to be lost. God doesn't want one sin to be committed by anybody. He doesn't want that. He wants all people to be saved. Calvinism notwithstanding. And he wants all people to come to a knowledge of the truth. We can know it if we do not. Then, of course, we're going to lose the battle. Now, the truth doesn't come within me. The truth comes from God. And I accept what God has revealed to me in the pages of the Word of God. Without this belt of truth, I'll never stand. But I need this breastplate of righteousness. And the breastplate, of course, covered the chest and the vital organs that are there. And what he means by the breastplate of righteousness is the right kind of life that I should be living. I should be focused on that. I should be studying the truth, and then I should be living the right kind of life day by day. You see, what a breastplate does, it protects the heart. The truth is going to protect the mind, but yet the breastplate protects the heart. It's going to protect the emotions, and the kind of life that I should be living is the kind of life that God has revealed for me in the pages of the Bible. The by and large, what so many people have problems with today is the guilt of sinful living. If they could just get rid of the guilt and the feeling of shame and the feeling of guilt, then they could live a happy life. But they don't try to get rid of the guilt God's way. They try to get rid of the guilt their way. I remember a rather successful counselor that I was talking to, and and he he seemed to be uh, very knowledgeable about the matter, and I was impressed with his understanding about things. And and, uh, through the years, he became a very good friend of mine, a very dear friend of mine, though he had advanced degrees in the matter of of counseling and and did that kind of work as a, a life's work. And he said, by and large, the people that he deals with are burdened with the problem of guilt. It is because of their sinful life. Now, he told me this. I don't know if this is the best way to look at it or not, but I'll pass this along to you from someone who was in the know. He said, this is the problem with the nervous breakdown. The nervous breakdown is the person who's filled with guilt, and he doesn't want to live that way but he doesn't know how to get rid of it. And so actually it becomes a nervous breakup, a breakup or a withdrawal from the present life to the guilt or from the guilt that he's suffering from. I thought, well, that's a pretty interesting way to look at that. I'm not an expert in those particular matters. I do know one thing, that guilt will burden us down and what we need is righteous living. One thing for sure, guilt will destroy us and rob us of the happiness that God wants us to enjoy because we are guilty and we haven't taken care of the guilt God's way. When we do take care of the guilt God's way, the guilt is gone. We don't have to suffer for it and from it. This is what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 6. He anticipates a particular objection in the beginning of the sixth chapter of the book of Romans. And that's why he says it this way. What shall we see then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What are we going to say to this now? Are we going to say that we don't grace may abound? And he makes a very strong statement. By no means. 
How can we who died to sin still live in it? He's saying get rid of the sin. And when you get rid of the sin, you get rid of the guilt and the burden that the guilt brings. And what is that but the armament of righteousness, living the right kind of life that God has taught us to live in the pages of the Bible. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He continues in verse 4, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There's no guilt in that life. It is a newness of life. It is a righteous life. It is the kind of life that God, of course, wants us to live. We'll never be able to stand against the wiles of the devil until we start living the righteous life and put upon ourselves the breastplate of righteousness. But he talks about the gospel of peace. And he no doubt looks at that soldier that he's chained to there in the Roman guard, Roman prison. And he sees the shoes that that man has on. The shoes that he wore, uh, quite different from the shoes that people wear today, of course. He talks about the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for their feet. Having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. It's more leather with leather thongs around the ankles and up the leg. And it was designed so that the soldier could have steady, sure footing, especially in times of combat and battle. A soldier, a Roman soldier, was quite an artisan, really. He was not someone to play games with. He was responsible for a space six foot square. Anything that came in that space was his territory, his responsibility. And he was well trained in protecting that space. For him to be able to do that... He had to have sure footing, and he had to have his feet on solid ground. And he was the kind of man that would fight to stay on his feet. And that's the point that he's making with the peace. The gospel, the word of God, puts us on solid ground. We can have sure footing on solid ground. You're not on solid ground with something else. I don't care how wonderful it sounds. I don't care how imaginative it might be. I don't care about how new and inventive it might be. You're on shaky ground and a slippery slope when you base your life on anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the sure footing that you need. It is the gospel. And we all rejoice when we think of Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's amazing that some would actually try to change and pervert the gospel of Christ. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. There the apostle Paul told them, Now even if an angel from heaven comes and tries to change the word of God, let him be accursed. The word change there is an interesting word, which conveys the idea of trying to manipulate, trying to twist, trying to distort it into something else other than what it originally was intended to be. Don't accept it. When anyone comes in to try to twist or change or manipulate, sometimes the translations will use the word pervert there in Galatians 1. Someone comes along and tries to pervert the gospel, don't have anything to do with it because you're on a slippery slope. The only way you can have on solid ground is by means of following the gospel of Jesus Christ, the pure, unadulterated gospel. And that's what we preach. And that's what we believe in. The old Jerusalem gospel. 
Same gospel that Cornelius obeyed. Same gospel Peter, James, and John preached. Without addition, without fear of what people might say or reprisal, without favor, trying to add favor here or change things there because of others. It is simply what the Word of God says. Give us God's Word, the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation. And it is not to be twisted or changed or perverted. It is the only sure foundation for which we can truly have. But then he uses this matter about the faith, and it's a shield. He describes it as a defense, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And there's that point again by Satan trying to do his very best to try and cause us to lose our uh, love of God and our faith. It protects us against false doctrine. It protects us against the lust of the flesh. The shield protects us against persecution. It comes from the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10 and verse 17. I'll tell you a passage that really has helped me And I just can't tell you how much. But I want to study it with you just briefly, and I've made mention of it before. It's Psalm 84. And I'd like for you to mark this great psalm of the Old Testament. Because it does describe for us just how important the faith really is. Verse 11. Now there's a wonderful discussion here that needs to be made in Psalm 84, but we'll talk about that on another occasion. Verse 11. For the Lord... and shield. Now you stop and think about that. He's the sun. Sun in the metaphorical sense. He's the giver of life. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. Uh, He's the one that provides. For us who are in need, which we are all the time, God is the sun. He's the source of joy and happiness in anyone's life. He's the giver of life. And you think about uh, the sun. You know, on a beautiful day like we've had today, beautiful Sunday morning, beautiful Sunday afternoon, and now in the shades of the evening's hour. It's hard for us to realize, I suppose, that we face such a terrible battle out there every single day because it's so nice outside. The reason so it's so nice outside is because God is a son. He has and is the source of all that is good. But he tells us also he's a shield. He defends us. He defends us and he cares for us. For the Lord God is a son and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 6, part of the armor is his faith, his trust in God, his trust in Christ, his trust in God's word. That if we lose that, then we're going to lose the battle. No good thing will be withheld from those who walk uprightly, who believe in Him and who trust Him. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift, James tells us. There with Him there is no variableness of turning. Where would we be without our faith, our confident trust in God and God's Word? But he talks about the helmet. 
the helmet of salvation. The helmets have always been interesting to me. The Greeks had a certain style. The Romans had a different style. And different ranks in the had different types of helmets for some reason. And I'll not try to describe all those particular matters, but it has an interesting fashion about it. The helmets of the ancient times. And every now and then, if you're going through a museum, especially those who are devoted to antiquities, they will have certain helmets that have been discovered and unearthed by archaeologists and are on display. And it's interesting, the look of the helmet. And, and Paul would look at this man who is chained to him as a prisoner of the gospel of Christ in a Roman prison, Roman jail. There in turn, he says, now, as a Christian, you take that helmet. You see that helmet that man's got on there? You take the helmet of salvation. And don't let Satan, now let me tell you something, brethren. Don't let Satan minimize your salvation. Don't let people make you think, well, it was just something that I did in the past. Oh, I was baptized for the remission of my sins, but I did that so long ago. It really doesn't mean anything to me now. Don't let Satan minimize your salvation. The Bible is telling us just how important that salvation is. And Paul's saying in this instance, you take that helmet and you wear it. The helmet is salvation, which you have. You have it in hope and you will have it as a reality one great day. And don't minimize the significance of that salvation, which you now enjoy in Christ Jesus. Now that was the point that he's making in Romans chapter 5. And I'm turning over there to that particular passage. And I'm in verse 1 of Romans, the fifth chapter. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. What? We've been justified by faith. We've been made right because of obedient faith. We were wrong, but now. And God views us as being right before him. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what I think Paul is mentioning in this regard is the importance of reflecting on the important matter of salvation. That you have forgiveness of sin as a present possession. If you remain faithful, you continue to follow the Lord and walk in the light as He is in the light. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 4. Now you can lose it. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4. If you allow the circumstances of life to so interfere that you lose sight of the importance of this salvation. Well, there he says, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Galatians 5 and 4. So it's very possible if Satan can get me to minimize the significance of my salvation and my walk with Christ, then in turn he can win the battle and I can lose it. If I don't keep before me the ever-present fact that I've been saved through the blood of Christ and through my faith in God's grace, and what a wonderful blessing that really is. That can happen. We can lose the significance of our salvation in our mind. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 9 talks about that very thing happening. For whoever lacks these qualities, and he goes through those wonderful Christian graces, which is a sermon within itself in the earlier portion of Second Peter chapter 1. He says, now whoever's lost or lacks these qualities is nearsighted, so nearsighted, that he is blind, get this, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. 
Have you forgotten that fact? That when you repented of sin and Jesus Christ were baptized in water for the remission of sins, that you receive forgiveness? That it is just as the passage teaches, for the remission of sins. The preposition is saying, looking forward to receiving forgiveness. And so I'm baptized, a type of threshold step, which now when taken through faith, I'm added to the kingdom of God, the church of the living God. And what a wonderful thing that is. Such a wonderful thing for people to obey the gospel of Christ, to have the courage and the wherewithal to say, I'm wrong and Christ is right and I'm repenting and I'm changing my life and I'm now going to live for him and I want to be baptized and I'm confessing my faith. And we come out of that water singing, oh, happy day, oh, happy day. But then through the rigors of living and the passage of time, we forget the significance of that great moment whereby we were immersed in water for the remission of sins. Don't let Satan cause you to minimize your salvation. He says, take it as a helmet. You have the shield of faith, or you have the helmet of salvation. Don't let Satan try to tell you that it is of no value. And then, of course, all of this is based on that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. One of my favorite passages along that line would have to be Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. You and I have studied it a number of times, and I turn to it again because of its rich discussion regarding the nature of the Word of God. It comes on the heels of one of these famous lettuce passages in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's a great verse, and you and I have talked about it a lot, and it deserves further discussion and consideration. It is truly the source by which all these other elements of the armor are obtained. The Word of God tells us about the truth. It tells us about righteous living. It tells us about the gospel of peace and reveals to us the faith, and thus is this matter of salvation. The Word of God, it tells us all these matters, and all of this hinges on our study of the Word of God and the importance of the Word of God, which, as we said, comes by hearing the Word of God. And a couple of Bible passages that I've grown to love through the years, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, one of the very first verses that I ever memorized. But I enjoy reading the passage. I think it means more to me and it means more to you if we can read it. And I read these verses for emphasis' sake and, and to motivate you to read them from the pages of your own Bible. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All the Word of God is of value. And he tells us of the great value of the Word of God. It's profitable for teaching for reproof or correction. A little earlier in the verse, he said, and that from a child, you've learned or acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. Notice the power of the Word of God. It makes you wise. It makes you understand the divine. Aren't we grateful that we have the Bible and that we can open up its pages and when we read from its pages, we're reading the thoughts of God. That's amazing to me. Perfectly preserved for us by inspiration. 
2 Timothy 3.16. The revelation has been given. But can I be certain that the revelation God gave and what I'm reading are the same thing? And the answer to that is yes, inspiration guarantees it. Inspiration guarantees that what I'm reading is God's holy and inspired word. And as you read in this particular passage, it is powerful. But I look at another verse to help me see that point. James chapter 1 and verse 21. And I ask you to mark it in the pages of your Bible. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. And here it is. Which is able to save your souls. I don't know how plainer it could be put. The word of God. And Paul says, now take that sword which is the Word of God. Do not miss the significance of that sword, that offensive weapon. Now you have a lot of implements here, a lot of body armor. Most of it is defensive in nature, but here's a very sharp, powerful offensive weapon. And it's very clear, all you need is this sword. But you're going to have to understand the sword. You're going to have to understand how to use the sword. Do you know that if you read... Five chapters of Scripture a day that you could read the Old Testament through once and the New Testament through twice in a year. Now, you and I can do that. You and I have the time to do that. To read passages of Scripture, just read five chapters a day and you can read the Bible through the Old Testament once, New Testament twice in a year. You and I are on a Bible reading program and you'll see that posted in in the foyer, and we encourage you, and you see by the slides that are prepared where we are in the reading, and that reading program is motivation for us to be studying the Word of God. Why? Because if the devil can keep us from using the powerful weapon God has given us, he can beat us in the battle, a real battle, a difficult battle, a dangerous battle. It's a dangerous battle because it's the battle for my soul. One of the beautiful descriptions of the Word of God found for us in the very first psalm. And it talks about the word being a beautiful tree and how important that tree is, how important that we cultivate that. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Blessed is the man who does what? Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. This is verse 1. Nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. The righteous man like a tree. He's that way because he studies the Word of God. But you've got to have affection for the Word of God. And you've got to have devotion for the Word of God in order for it to be the powerful tool to defend you in the most serious battle you got. And so I'm going to say this, which as I, I know is a strong statement, but I believe it with all my heart. Every elder, every deacon, every preacher, every mom, every dad, every teenager, 
who does not study God's word ought to repent of that sin and get back to studying God every single day. It is the offensive weapon that God has given us to defend ourselves against the cunning craftiness of the devil. Now, if you fall into that category, in your heart and in your mind, get down on your knees before God in prayer and say, Lord, please forgive me for not studying your word. In your mind, in your prayers, Lord, if you give me a tomorrow, I'm going to start reading and I'm going to start studying and I'm going to start applying your word to my life as best as I can. I'm not perfect at it, but I'm going to get better because I know that it's the offensive weapon I need to win this battle. That's an imperative. It is a present tense verb. It is a verb that is a passive voice, which means I need your help and the tools which you give me to fight this terrible battle. A lot of commentary. Conclusion of the armor, I've included the word prayer as he spends a lot of time with prayer here. And he says, praying all the time in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now he goes on into personal matters, 19 and 20, and especially in verse 21. But he's saying there, utilize the fine art of prayer. Jesus told them, watch and pray uh, that you do not enter into temptation, Matthew chapter 26. He told them in Luke chapter 18, be persistent in prayer. I think in this passage, Paul's saying, pray for special needs like you've heard us do tonight. And so we should be doing the same thing. Let us always be of the heart and mind where we can go and pray to God. Now let me ask you the question. How you doing on this battle? How you doing here? Are you winning the battle for your soul? Or are you going to lose it? There's no need for you to lose it. You can win it using the implements, the body armor God has given us. If you never obeyed the gospel, do it tonight to repent of sin and confess your faith in Christ. Be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. What a great day that'll be when you decide to become a Christian. The Lord adds you to his church, Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. If you've been unfaithful in your Christian walk of life, repent of that tonight. Galatians chapter 6 and 1. Rededicate your life to Christ and start all over again. And I've often thought many times, what a wonderful thing that is. I can start all over again. And now's the time for you to do that if you need to. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.